Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And while you're doing that, we're going to say another word of prayer. And then we'll see what the Lord has to say uh, to us this morning. Let's look unto the Lord. Father God, we do thank you. <clears throat> what a blessing, what a privilege it is to come to you this morning to worship you, Lord God, in song and now to sit at your feet as we worship you through the study of your word. I ask, Lord, that as your word goes forth, that we will humble ourselves, Lord God, that you will remove all distractions from us, those we brought with us, those that may have met us at the door, that we can focus in on you, uh, Father God. Uh, you want to take root within us, Lord God. And so whatever you need to remove from us, whatever you need to add to us, for that to be a reality for us, have your way with us. We ask, Lord God, we cry out to you, Lord God, that you will pour into us. Your word is alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts deep, Lord God, but it also heals. And so whatever we need this morning, Lord God, we ask that you will provide it. We're excited for all that you're going to do. It's in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all who are in agreement, let us say, Amen. Amen, saints. I wanted to start uh, by sharing just a little background of where we are here. In Numbers chapter 11, Israel is about two years out of Egypt. And we know that instead of an 11-day journey, it's going to take them now roughly 38 years before they enter into the promised land. Now, when we read about this, we have a tendency to think, oh, man, you know, poor Israel. Why didn't they just listen to the Lord? Why were they so disobedient? with all that God has showed them. But I believe that that is the wrong approach that we should have when we're reading about Israel and its wilderness journeys. In fact, scripture tells us that all this didn't happen just for Israel's sake because they were unable to read what we are reading today. They experienced it, but they didn't read about it. We're able to not only read it, but we can meditate on it. We can study it. Uh, we can look at it and point out errors that if they would have avoided it, who knows, the outcome may have been different. In Romans chapter 15, when you get an opportunity, you can look at it, but in verse uh, for it says something interesting about this. It says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might 
have hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 says something similar. It says, now all these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So these things that happened to Israel in the wilderness, they were important lessons that God wanted us to glean and to learn from as well. So we should be paying close attention so that we don't miss what they should have caught. And therefore we can avoid some of the pitfalls uh, that they fell into. Amen. Look at verse one. It reads, it says, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place to burn because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Three things I want you to write down. Problems, solutions, and results. You know, we're all going to face problems, right? And when we face problems, we look for what? Solutions. And depending oftentimes on the results determines whether or not we went down the right path. There's nothing we can do about problems. I know we want to live a problem-free life. As soon as you came out of the womb, it was a problem. A friend of mine <laughs> said, said he told his son, as soon as he could understand, he was like, son, you might didn't know this, but I knew it was a problem as soon as you opened your eyes. <laughs> and that is so true. We don't realize it. But then uh, we look for solutions. And the practical solutions is what we're supposed to do, right, in order to solve our problems. But folks, oftentimes that's where we get into the most trouble. And that's when we can look at the results and say, oh, man, why did I go down that path? But that's what we're going to see here with Israel. God's law had already been announced. The tabernacle had been constructed and dedicated. Moses had already consecrated the priests, the Levites. He had counted the soldiers and he had organized the tribe. Israel was now the nation ready for action. And yet, three days into the journey, the people began to complain. The, the words here actually say in the Hebrew, they became complainers. They didn't start out complaining. I believe they started out with excitement. How many of us, when we first started our journey with the Lord, we were excited about what he was going to do. We looked at the prospects of what we were leaving behind and we were looking forward to what the Lord was going to do in our lives. But after three days into the journey, 
the people stopped being patient and they started complaining. You know, this isn't the first time. I want you to keep your finger here in Exodus chapter 14. I want you to turn there. Exodus 14. And I want you to look at verse 8. Say amen when you're there. Okay, it reads, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. It tells us that after the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they're marching, uh, they believe they're headed toward the promised land of what Moses had shared with them, and the Lord, notice it said, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. What people don't understand is that the Lord will give us exactly what we want, folks. In some cases, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. In other cases, it said the Lord hardened his heart. What that means is the Lord gave Pharaoh what he wanted. And Pharaoh wanted his heart to be hardened. And so now he wants to take vengeance upon Israel, even though he should have been looking at himself. It was because of his disobedience, his desire to be a God instead of surrendering to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he brought all of this disaster personally as well as nationally upon himself. And now he's blaming the Israelites. And it tells us uh, that he chases the Israelites all the way down to the Red Sea. And it says in verse 10, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And notice he didn't say that they're going to see the salvation of the Lord in the future. He didn't tell them to look back in their past. He tells them for you today, the Egyptians whom you see, you shall see again no more. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. What I love about this is at the end, he says, the Lord is going to do all these great things. Shut up. That's what he tells them. Shut up. You know, when this happened. This happened right after they had come out of Egypt. They started complaining. Soon as the first sign of trouble, they started blaming Moses. Why did you take us out of Egypt? You should have left us alone. Have you ever thought like that? Have you said, Lord, you know, I, I know what your promises are. And I know what you have delivered me out of, 
but it's hard right now. Let's backtrack a little bit. Let's not move forward. Let's either stay right here or let's go back. You know, maybe it wasn't so bad. And all of a sudden you start glamorizing what you were doing in the flesh. And you started resenting what God wanted to do in the spirit. <laughs> this is what happened then. And now we fast forward uh, here in Numbers chapter 11. And they're doing it again. We know that the Lord had already fought for them. He had destroyed Egypt's army right in front of them. Afterwards, everyone had broke out in this magnificent song. When you get a chance, you read Exodus chapter 15. Oh, oh it was a praise service. Uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, led it. She, she was hitting the, the, the uh, timbrel. They were singing. They were talking about all of the great things that God has done. Much like what we were just singing about, right? We lift up, you know. We want to touch you. And then a week later, we're doing a snow angel on the floor. Asking the Lord, why have you brought us to this place? Oh, if we could just remember when we were singing the praise song. That's where Israel is right now. It goes on further. Look at verse four. It says, now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember, here it is, the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of bedulium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones, beat it in the mortar, cooked it in the pans and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastries prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the cat in the night, the manna fell on it. And so we see initially uh, that you have people in the back who were complaining. And, and it tells us it was people on the outskirts of the cat. And, and, and the Lord dealt with that. It says that the Lord sent some fire there <laughs> to light them up. You know, some translations say that it was lightning, but I believe it was fire. Because when the Lord sent lightning on the mountain, he said it was lightning. He sent some fire out of the sky to kind of clean that out. You know, when I think about it, there's always going to be people on the outskirts. They're going to say, I can see the Lord, but I'm not trying to walk closely with the Lord. And oftentimes, those are the people, not only do they say they can see the Lord, but they also can see a lot of faults and a lot of problems, right? But they're on the outskirts, so are they part of the solution? 
or are they just magnifying the problem? Well, the Lord said they were a problem. And so he sent fire on the outskirts of the camp. But notice what Moses' response was. He prayed for him. He prayed that the Lord would just douse the fire and the Lord listened to him. And then the problems didn't just stay in the back. Now we see the problems are in the front and in the middle. There's a mixed multitude amongst Israel. There are people who came out of Egypt just like Israel did. They were slaves just like Israel was. They saw the judgments just like Israel did. But they hadn't surrendered to the Lord just like the Lord commanded. There's a difference there. They came out because they wanted to avoid the judgments of God. But they didn't come out to worship the Lord of the judgment. There's a lot of people like that, folks. There are a lot of people who, when they see the things of the Lord, they have no problem grabbing or grasping for it. But they do have a problem in surrendering to the one who is giving it. See, people want the gifts, but they don't want the what? Gift giver. And so these people were choosing the safest course to avoid more judgments from the Lord, but they didn't have any faith in the Lord. Unfortunately, there are people like that in church today. And what happens is, as soon as they see something that may be a little out of order, maybe um, not to their liking, instead of them taking it to the Lord, they start discussing it amongst themselves. And we all know how that turns out, don't we, folks? We're reading it right now. In fact, it said that they begin to infect others. The this is the second complaint. And notice it leads to misconception. They painted a picture that they actually had it good in Egypt. They remember the fish. They remember the cucumbers. They remember the melons, the spices. And all the while, conveniently forgetting the bondage, the cruelty, the idolatry. See, that came with these things. It's tragic when professing believers crave substitutes from the world instead of desiring the heavenly manner of the word of God. They started pointing the finger at what God from his very hand was providing for them. They start talking about the manna. I want you to pay close attention to it. They said, we don't have anything except this manna before our eyes. The Lord describes the manna. He says it's like a, a mustard seed. It's like bedulium. It's like jewels. It's clear, shiny. And it says that the Lord will provide for them on a daily basis. Instead of looking at what God has provided, they're looking at what they what? 
don't have. And they're pointing the finger at the Lord. They say, we sick of these man of cakes, these man of pies. We don't want any more. It, it, it's bland. You know, we want some spices. We want something to spice it up. <laughs> Do you feel like that? I'm sick of just coming to church. I'm sick of just Bible study. I'm sick of just prayer meeting. I'm sick of just fellowship here, fellowship there. Open your Bibles there. Here's a verse, there's a verse. Everywhere's a verse, right? <laughs> let's, let's get something to shake it up. <laughs> and that's what the people are, are, are saying to one another. And look at the results. When Moses heard the people weeping, now all of a sudden they were just singing, they were praising God. Now they're crying throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Well, it's one thing if it just said the anger of the Lord was aroused, right? Was there. Say he was greatly, the Lord was hot, folks. You know there are levels to God's anger, people. We don't just like his levels to yours, we're made in this image. You ever feel sometimes you get upset, you can feel it right in your feet. <laughs> and it just starts to rise. You like you're getting hot. That's what's happening here. Greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. It, it's, it's not a problem for you and I to be upset at the things that God is upset with, right? That's why the Bible says you can be angry, but what people? Sin not. The Lord is upset. But notice, when Moses gets upset, we see the Lord hadn't done anything just yet. And this is a problem. When we get upset because we're mad at what people are doing and we know it's displeasing the Lord, but then we act without the Lord. See, that's when we get in trouble. Moses jumps ahead and Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? Uh-oh. Now Moses starts complaining, right? But he's complaining for a different reason. He said, look at these guys. I, I want to go back to um, verse, <laughs> verse 9. When it says the people went about and gathered it when the Lord was talking about his provision. Moses, just like them, instead of him focusing on God's been providing and he should have he should have started out with that. Moses starts complaining, too. And, and it's interesting because uh, when it describes the mixed multitude, it comes from a Hebrew word, asapsup. Doesn't sound too bad, except for when you see the meaning of it, it means riffraff. <laughs> See, instead of Moses going to the riffraff and pointing out the goodness of God, he goes to the Lord. And he also says, Lord, I didn't ask for these people. Look what you have done to me. He started looking at, looking within, looking at himself and where he's at. You've been there, right? We all have. Why have you afflicted your servant? 
And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all these people on me. And I, I love this with Moses because you have to relate with. Did I conceive all these people? You, you have to understand it's like three, four million people there. It's, he, he, he tells them that he says, I didn't carry them in your bosom or in my bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? They weep all over me. Moses said, they're crying on me. Give me meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. As a pastor, I can relate to this. I can relate to this. You know, we have sometimes church meetings, right? I don't know who it was that invented that, right, Pastor Eric? <laughs> and people can't wait. Some people that showed up for a decade, they show up at a church meeting, right? And they wait, they hear you out, and then here they come with the questions. <laughs> Why aren't you doing? Why are we still doing? Why haven't this? Why did? And I feel like Moses is like, I don't know. I'm not your father. <laughs> That's your heavenly father. I'm just an under shepherd. <laughs> and it, they're like, we want to hear from you. We want to hear. Give us direction. Give us the path. You know, you're a spiritual architect, aren't you? I want you to draw out the plan. And then we'll follow it. <laughs> uh, we know that's not true. <laughs> but that's just how Moses felt. Moses is like, what am I going to do with these people? And then it says, if you treat me like this, please kill me here. And now if I found favor in your sight and have found favor a favorite in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. He says, Lord, if you care about me, you kill me. <laughs> Don't let me continue with this people. He talks about it. 600,000 men, as we're going to see, if you multiply that with a wife or, and, and two or three kids, you got you got almost you got three million people on your hands. The people are crying. Can you imagine that? Just imagine everybody in this room crying. And, and, and then times that, times a thousand. Oh, my goodness. It's a cry fest going on, right? And so Moses is seeing that and he's saying, I can't take it anymore. Complaining is infectious, people. They're crying in their tents instead of rejoicing at what God is doing. They don't see hope. They only feel discouragement. And now Moses starts to complain and he asks the Lord, did he ask for these people? See, again, you can tell that he does understand the problem. But what he doesn't understand is the solution. The people of God can get like that. You know, 
what Moses is saying, he's right. It's impossible for him to solve. That's where he should have started. And basically, he should say, Lord, this is your problem. It's not mine. These are your people. They're not mine. But Moses is trying to figure it out. See, what he's discouraged in is he's like, what am I to do? I, I can't feed all these people. The Lord never asked them to. That's, that's where I have to examine myself. Because again, you know, you'll have people telling you that this is your church. No, it's not. These are your people. No, they're not. <laughs> this is your problem to solve. No, it's not. We're not called to be problem solvers, people. We're called to cast all of our cares upon who? The Lord. But we make the mistake is we cast all our cares upon others or we carry them ourselves. And we get in trouble, don't we, folks? Moses looks around. He don't see any animals to kill for meat. <laughs> he says this burden is too hard for him. In fact, he says, kill me now because it's too much. Look what the Lord says. So the Lord said to Moses, he let him get all of that out. Uh-uh-uh. The Lord is angry, but he's not rash, is he, folks? He could have been like, okay, out of your mouth, boom, that's it. <laughs> He can do that, but he doesn't. Even when we're talking foolishness, as my mother used to say, you're talking out the side of your neck, Keith. <laughs> or she would say, you ever heard this? You, Keith, you talking all over your mouth. I ain't know what any of that stuff meant. <laughs> I just know that it meant, you know, you need to just be quiet. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men. I, I love this of the elders of Israel whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take up the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Look at, look at the compassion of God. What he saw there, he was like, Moses, you think that you're in this by yourself. But you're not. I want you to look around. I want you to just pick out 70 men that, that you know they, they do have a concern for the people. And what I'm going to do is the same spirit that I gave you to lead these people, I'm going to give to them. Amen. He said, I'm going to have some people share in how you feel. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it wonderful when you can talk to some people? You might have a problem. You, you, you might feel discouraged and people point you back to the truth. Isn't it beautiful when people link arms with you and, and they say, you know what, let me pray for you. No, I'm not going to get down there and do a snow angel with you. But what I am 
going to do, I'm going to point you uh, to the one who can lift you back up. See, that's what Moses needed. He, he said, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to bless you. Amen. And so instead of letting Moses die or take the leadership of Israel away from him, he provides some help for him. Gives them some men who have the same spirit that is upon him. Now, after that, it says, then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day. Nor two days. This is the Lord speaking, folks. Not five days, not even getting a week. Ten days, a week and a half. Nor 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils <laughs> and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? Folks, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. There is a sin of ungratefulness. And the worst thing God could ever do is to give you and me exactly what we want. The book of Jeremiah, in fact, I want you to turn there real quickly. Jeremiah chapter 10. In verse 23, I know we got some people in here who have been told that you're smart. You, they may even told you that on your job. You might even have a diploma on your wall saying you're smart, right? <laughs> I'm going to sh show you something what the word of God says about all that. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, say man when you're there. It says, oh Lord, I know the way of man is what? Not in himself. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. Translation, you don't know what's good for you. <laughs> You're not smart. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. <clears throat> I am so glad that somebody pointed that verse out to me. Because I've shared this with you. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this, that I look in the mirror and I point in there and say, you, you the problem. You are your own worst enemy. You think you're so smart. You think you can solve your own problems. You think you're strong. But God says, I want you to be weak and I want you to bring your problems to me. So God, as we go back to Numbers chapter 11, he says, I'm going to give you what you want. But there's a scripture in Psalm 106, you get a chance, you read it. It says God gave them what they wanted, but he sent leanness to their souls. After he told them they would, that he was going to give them the meat, 
It says in Moses. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got to love Moses. Moses said, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. <laughs> you know what Moses was saying? Look around. We're surrounded by wilderness. There's no animals here. Where, where are you going to feed that? He, he's still at that place, right? <laughs> where if I tell them this, you're going to make it even worse. They're going to say, where, what do you mean we're going to eat meat for a month? He said, you're going to get me in trouble. Have the Lord ever spoken to you like this? No, no. <laughs> the Lord has spoken to me in grocery stores. Tap that person. Give them the gospel. I was like, nope, they busy. They don't want no parts of that. I already decide what, what's going to happen there. I talk myself right on out of it. And then finally, as I'm going, you know, debating in my head, and I say, okay, I'm going to do it. If, if they have a psychedelic car out there and, you know, uh, they, they got four dogs in the car and I make all these stipulations. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, that's nonsense. I'm going to do it. And I go out there, they go. I talk myself right out of it. That's what Moses is doing. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. There's no animals uh, around. He, he's still, he's, he's still in the, at that place where he's trying to solve things. There's three million people here, Lord. How are they going to eat meat for a month? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? He says, man, they can eat an ocean. Some of y'all, you know, you look at your kids like that, right? How are we going to keep providing for them? And the Lord, notice what he says to Moses. Has the Lord's arm, um, you have to underline that in your word, people, if you have it. Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Folks, this is powerful what the Lord says. You know, there's a scripture in Psalm, many of you know it, where the scripture says, taste and see what? That the Lord is good. He says, try me, right? The Lord right here and sharing with Moses he, he's, he says to him, when has there ever been a time when I made a promise to you and was unable to perform it? See, in the natural, this is impossible. But for God, it was nothing. And so Moses, he hears that. And then he goes out, says, and he tells the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and he placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. But it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. I want you to please pay attention to this, too. Before God gave the people to meet. Notice he put his spirit on the 70. Why? The one he really wanted to minister to more than any of them was Moses. 
Moses was still at that place where he was even doubting whether or not God could feed these million of people. And so what did he do? The promise that he made to him. said, remember what I said I was going to do? I'm not going to feed the people first. I'm going to minister to you. Before you could ever minister to someone else, before you can ever tell someone else how good the Lord is, you have to believe it for yourself, folks. You have to. You can't lead anyone into a right relationship with the Lord. They don't look at you. And if they see you, you look like you've been baptized in lemon juice. It look like it ain't working for you. So why do you think, I mean, they want some of that. You out there kicking and slamming doors in the car. I don't know, Bible study again. Bible study every Wednesday. And then you're like, hey, come on out to my church. (laughs) The Lord is ministering to Moses. And so he pours his spirit out and notice it said the 70 prophesied that one time because that's all it took. Right. And they never did it again. That's all Moses needed to see. Don't expect God. They keep showing you the same thing over and over and over again in order for you to believe it. One time, folks, he shows it to you. Shouldn't that be enough? In fact, you are your own proof. Look at you. You you are here. You got a conscience, folks. For for me, that that. That did it for me. I had a conscience. I didn't have one before. I actually cared about people who couldn't really in the natural do much for me. And I knew it was the Lord. He shouldn't have to keep showing us those things. He showed Moses this one time. That was it. Then it says, and a young man ran. Ran to Moses and said, El dad and me dad. We don't know if they're twins or not. <laughs> they prophesied in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And, and see, this time we know Moses got it. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord will put his spirit upon them. He got it, didn't he? He was like, you know what? All of God's people should be ministering to one another. Keep your finger here real quickly. And I want you to turn to first or Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. Oftentimes people want to run to the pastor, right? For everything. Pastor knows best. You know, you have as much of the Holy Spirit as any of the pastors. It's, it's not that the pastors don't have a role. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you don't talk to the pastors, you don't ask for prayer or any of those things. But what I am sharing with you 
is that you also have the Holy Spirit. And you should be able to have discernment to minister to one another as well. You see a problem, you hear something that's not right, you know the word of God. Shouldn't be like, you know what, call, <laughs> you know, on speed dial. Because look at verse 14, it says, now I myself, this is the apostle Paul writing this, am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to do what? Admonish one another. Correct each other. That's why the Lord gave Moses these 70 to help him. Moses understood that. Now, uh, me, dad, and Eldad are out there. And Joshua's like, you know what? We need to shut them down. They're not over here with us. And Moses said, no, you should be praying that the whole congregation are prophesying because that's good for the entire body. It's not really about how much of the Holy Spirit that we had because all of us have the same amount. It's about how much of you does the Holy Spirit have. How much does the Holy Spirit control you? That determines how yielded you are to him. Amen? Amen. Finally, it tells us that Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. Now the wind out from the Lord and it brought, a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. About a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. So here these birds coming up and they surround the camp and they're coming towards them and they're only about three feet off the ground. So everybody is able to reach them. And the people stayed up all that day, all night, all the next day and gathered quail. He who gathered the least gathered at least 10 homers. <laughs> That's like 60 bushels, folks. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Oh, now the cry fest turned into another what? Praise fest. We got what we wanted. They were just reaching up, grabbing these birds. You know, they were barbecuing, folks. That's what they was out there doing. They're barbecuing. They're happy. They're excited about this. But here's where it gets real sad. It says, but while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Folks, this is, this is so important. You know, you and I can pick the sin, but you can't pick the consequence. And you certainly can't pick the amount of time you'll stay in it. This wind comes up from the Lord. The Lord sends the quail to the Israelite. At first, they're overjoyed. And it shows this is sad when the people of God can't tell when something that is going to bring judgment on them. They think it's a blessing for them. <sighs> How many times you've seen that people are excited about a relationship that you know is not of the Lord? 
They're excited about taking a job that you know is not from the Lord. They're excited about getting a check that you know that the things they did for that is displeasing to the Lord. And they say it's a blessing. They couldn't even tell this was going to bring judgment on them. So all these birds, they lower themselves. And the men, the women, and children, they, they get at them. And I, I want you to, to, to pay attention to this. It says that, that they started grabbing them that day, the night, and the next day. Folks, did we see them praying like that? Did we see them seeking the Lord like that? Oh, they putting the energy in, right? <clears throat> to get this meat. But they didn't do that when it came to hearing from the Lord. They just started crying. They just started murmuring. They just started complaining. It doesn't take much effort to do that. You, you ever notice you do it, you exhaust it. But it doesn't take much thought to do it, right? You just start weeping. You just start crying. You just start flailing. And then you're exhausted afterwards and then you repeat it again. But you ever notice when you say, I'm going to seek the Lord. You start thinking like, man, it's going to take a lot of effort to do that. Oh, man, I might be. I wonder how I'm going to be out all night praying. It's going to take two hours. And, and then you're like, I'm just going to do it. And you do it. And it may take two hours. It may take a whole day. It may take some fasting and praying. But you know, when you finish, you feel rejuvenated. See, they spend all this energy fulfilling the lust of the flesh, folks. And now, what did they receive? A great plague. So, Moses called that place Kerbroth Hataava because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. From Kerbroth Hataava, the people moved to Hazaroth and camped at Hazaroth. That phrase, Kerbroth Hataava, means graves of lust. All you can find there is what? Death. The wages of sin is what, people? You know it. The enemy promises all this <laughs> fulfillment. It's a lie. All this satisfaction. You know, the Bible says that sin is what? Pleasurable for a season. But then comes the cost. And this is the cost. It's death. Something's going to die. Something's going to decay. Something's going to stink. Because it's here. This is where they buried the people who yielded the cravings of the flesh. And you know, these graves are going to be a monument to the danger. And I want you to write this last phrase down. Not thy will, but my will be done. <laughs> See, that's a dangerous phrase. Not thy will. You're saying not God's will, but my will be done. 
And this is where it ends. So remember we began, folks, with the problems. The problem, they were saying there was no meat. The solutions, they thought, was complaining and murmuring, crying. And the results was discontent, discouragement, deception, and ultimately death. But in there, it's a wonderful lesson, folks. The lesson is, we all should be looking for life. And what was God saying to Moses? What was God saying to the people? What was God saying to all of us? When problems come, you bring them to who? Him. When he gives us answers, instead of debating him, surrender to him. And in the end, instead of death, what we'll experience is life. And we'll walk away with joy. Amen. 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 It's a tremendous chapter, folks. You know, people avoid it. Like the plague. That was a pun here, brother. <laughs> but it, it's beautiful. It really is because it shows us human nature. This is all of us, people. The Lord has us on a journey. We're in the wilderness. Make no mistake about it. But just like the Lord told the children of Israel, he said they're going to go to the promised land. We know what our promised land is. It's in glory. It's not on this side of eternity. But in the midst of it, because we already know the answers, we already know what God has said. We already had the victory. When you're going through these skirmishes, when you're in these battles, you just got to remember the Lord said, I'll fight it. That's what he's told them. I'll fight your battle. But you got to give it to who? Him. He's not going to fight you and the battle, folks. He's going to get out of the way and wait for you to get tired, to get exhausted, and to give up. And then that's when he'll be like, you through? I got this. See, once Moses said, kill me, notice that's when the Lord spoke up. Because that is true. We got to die to self. We got to be like, I can't do it. And when I say that I can't do it, that's when the Lord says, you were never created to, I can't. Just get out of the way. My encouragement to everyone here, let's just get out the way, folks. Let's let the Lord work. And as he's working, let's be surrendered to him, excited to serve him. Yeah, it's going to be problems. But folks, as a gentleman shared with me, if the problems weren't so hard and the night wasn't so dark then the promises wouldn't shine so bright amen Amen? Amen. let's look unto the Lord Father God thank you for your goodness and your grace thank you for these men and women boys and girls Lord who have sat down Lord and chosen a better thing to sit at your feet to hear from you. 
My prayer, Lord God, is that you will search our hearts and our minds and you'll empty us of us and you'll fill us with your spirit, Lord God. And as you fill us with your spirit, Lord, you'll remind us of your promises. Thank you, Lord God, uh, that you call us your children, Lord. Your desire is to guide and direct us, to protect us, Lord, to provide for us, Lord God. And not for us to leave, but for us to follow. Again, Lord, whatever you need to do for that to happen, Lord, have your way with us, Lord God. Thank you for your word, Lord God, that corrects the lies, Lord, uh, that exposes the deception and the misconceptions that we have about you. And Lord, thank you that your path is straight and it's narrow and it leads directly to you. Minister unto us, Lord God. Let this be the day that we claim, Lord God, that we'll follow no one else not even our own voice. We only want to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we ask of these prayers. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. Have your way. And all who are in agreement, let us say, amen. Amen. amen.